Have you had any arguments this past week? You know, those kind of disagreements that you have with people because they fail to look at things properly? They, they don't see things the right way? Did, did you have any, um, shall I call them, vigorous discussions with your spouse? Or our parents, did you have any um, loud frustrations with your teens? Or teens, maybe, did you have any of those with your parents? Did you have any robust discussions with your coworkers that, that morphed into angry words? Harsh words with a person in the grocery store? Anything like this happened this past week? I, I'm sure that more than one of us is answering yes to that question. We, we, we live in an angry world. We encounter frustrated, hostile people all the time. There, there are countless kinds of frustrations, both, both large ones and small ones, and they, they, they cause us to feel exasperated with other people. This is our reality. We, we live in a broken, sin-filled world. The fundamental question that, that we must ask ourselves this morning is, are we displaying the Spirit of Christ as we live out our lives in this angry world? As we hit these points of conflict with, with other people this past week, did we display genuine Christian love? Or more significantly, as we encounter similar points of, of conflict in this coming week, will we display genuine Christian love? We are coming near the end of our series now on, on displaying genuine love, developing genuine love. We've spent several months looking at the characteristics of genuine love as God defines love. We, we have used the, the list that we find in Romans chapter 12 as, as the basis for our series. We've taken the list that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12 item by item and examined each one as we came to it. Paul begins the list in, in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12, essentially with a title. We, we've called it de- Developing Genuine Love. The, the New American Standard translates the first part of Genesis 9, at, or Genesis, or Genesis, where did I go there? Romans 12 verse 9 as, let love be without hypocrisy. But, but Paul simply writes, love without hypocrisy, or non-hypocritical love. In other words, what well, I'm calling genuine love. And then he gives us elements, point by point, a bullet list of things that constitute genuine love. If you haven't already done so, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans 12, and I'll read Paul's list down to where we're at this morning. So far, we've covered from verse 9 all the way down through verse 17. We have that title, Love Without Hypocrisy, and Paul begins his list with, Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil 
for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. That's how far we've gone in our series. And as we've looked at these items, each one has presented a challenge for us. None of them have been naturally easy. We realize as we look at the lift, that's because these are spiritual characteristics. These are things that require the Spirit of God working within us as believers for us to produce what Paul is giving us here. This is a list for believers. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, then you do not have the Spirit of God within you, and it's impossible to produce these characteristics because Paul is not talking about the kind of things that people can just naturally do. These are supernatural, spirit-natural You cannot produce genuine Christian love if you lack the the supernatural source that enables you to do so. Of course, as I say almost every week, you can change that today. You can come to know Christ as your Savior. Talk to me after the service. Send me an email at the address on the screen. I'd love to share with you how you can have the source within you that will enable you to produce genuine Christian love how you can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Paul is not attempting to produce behavioral modification as he gives us this list. His focus is on us who are believers, and he wants us to live out the reality of our salvation. We are to display genuine love in our lives as Christians. Today we're going to look at the item that Paul adds in verse 18. And as we do so, we see that genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. A peaceful spirit. That's the next item that, that pops up here as we consider what is genuine love. Look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In this angry world that we live in, this world with all the conflicts around us, genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. This morning we're going to explore this idea by by considering three things. The, The goal that's put before us when Paul adds this item to the list the challenge that that's presented by by this particular item, and then the reason for the item. So we have the goal, the challenge, and the reason. Those three things to consider today. Genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. Let's first consider the goal itself. As Paul clearly states, the, the goal here is peaceful relationships. Peaceful relationships. As much as extreme introverts might wish otherwise, Our our lives are filled with relationships. God has designed us to live with other people, not as hermits living alone. Frankly, I know even introverts desire relationships with others. They value personal relationships. Unfortunately, in our world, every relationship involves two sinners interacting with one another. The, the same sin that ruptured our relationship with God has, has ruptured our relationship with others. Every relationship has to deal with sin. Sin makes it impossible to live in perfect harmony. I know some of us probably think of the Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder song, Ebony and Ivory, let's live together in perfect harmony. It doesn't work. We cannot do so because sin gets in the way. 
At the same time, I, I trust that, that we all recognize that our Savior died. And our Savior rose again. And he did that so he could conquer sin as well as death. That, that means that through our salvation, through the transforming work of God in our, our lives, he is repairing what sin has ruptured, including the things that damage our relationships with other people. To, to me, it's a bit like what happened this past week when Hurricane Ian came through Florida. It destroyed parts of the Sanibel Causeway. You've probably seen pictures where there was the series of bridges and a causeway that connects Sanibel Island with the Florida mainland, and Hurricane destroyed part of that. So now Sanibel Island is, is isolated from mainland. There's, there's no way to get there other than by boat or plane. Well, as repairs are begun, the, the gap that is existing in this collapsed section of bridge will have to be spanned. That's how the, the repairs have to be made. And, and you know, the moment that the first girder spans that gap, it's been bridged. But that's not the end of the picture, is it? The gap's been spanned by that girder, but, but other girders will have to be laid. And then there will have to be bridge decking put on. And, and after the bridge decking in place, there will have to be finishing touches, like railings will have to be put up. It will take a lot of work, even after the gap is spanned, for Sanibel Island be connected to Florida mainland once again. Well, our relationship with Christians is somewhat like that. Our relationship with, with God has been spanned, even though sin ruptured it completely, through faith in Jesus Christ, that, re, that gap is spanned. But there's a lot of work that still remains to, to f- transform us back into the image that we were originally created in, the image bearers that worship God fully. That work will be a lifetime of transformation as believers. The gap's been spanned, but the work continues. But as that work continues in our lives, the gap between us and others can also be spanned. And we can work on that and begin to repair what's been ruptured by sin. It's an ongoing work. It takes time to repair. But Paul indicates that we must engage in that work. So what is this ongoing work to look like? Well, there are two aspects of the work that we can extract from from verse 18 of what Paul has given us here. First, one aspect is we must pursue peace with everyone. Everyone. Be at peace with all men literally means all. No one is accepted. The the goal is that we will seek peaceful relationships with everyone. That means people we like and people we don't like. Includes people who don't like us as well. I remember years ago when I worked in, in the corporate world, there was a leader on a team that provided service to my team. For, for reasons I don't fully recall at, at this time anymore, the two of us just did not get along. His team was working for us in a sense, but he did not like me and I, I did not care for him. It seemed like his view of how things should get done was always at odds with my view of how things could get done. In, in theory, I was his customer because he was a, a service provider, but he was the sole service provider. So if he chose not to have his team do what I asked, then I would fall behind on my projects to the client. 
That was my problem, not his. So there were times we were at a bit of an impasse. I remember the things got bad enough that after a while I asked for a meeting between him and his boss and myself. And the three of us went out to lunch together and we began to discuss our problems. And as we talked over that lunch, we, we began to understand that we were really seeking the same things. We were just looking at how to get there very differently. That, that lunch began a process of us working to understand one another. And that led to us trusting one another. And that eventually led to a, the two of us actually appreciating one another. In the end, the, the leader that I had bumped heads with so much, we actually became friends. In, to the point where a few years down the road, he recruited me to replace him as he was looking to move to a different job and wanted me to take over what he had built. Now, pursuing peace may not always produce friendships. But peace is something we must seek. The more difficult we find the person, the, the more necessary it is for us to pursue peace. We also need to understand what we mean by peace. Peace has, has two sides, much like the two sides of a coin. It, it requires on the one side that, that we cease hostilities with, with one another. When two countries stop shooting at each other, they're at peace. That's part of the peace process. We, we certainly do not have peace with someone if we're lobbing verbal attacks every time we get together. Full peace, though, between people involves a, a positive aspect as well. There, there needs to be a positive relationship. That other team leader and I had full peace when that friendship developed. That was peace in the fullest sense when we came to respect one another and develop the friendship. Now, I'm not saying that we have to have a friendly relationship with everyone in the world. I'm quite certain that the 8 billion people or thereabouts, we're almost 8 billion now in the world, that, that exceeds even the most personable of you to, to establish a, a good relationship with. No, what, what I'm talking about when I say everyone here is that every relationship that God has put into our lives, that network of relationships that we have... We must pursue peace with those people. That's the people that we are commanded here to apply this principle to. Pursue peace with all men that God has brought into our lives. We must work to have peace with family because God's placed them in our lives. We must work to have relationships of peace with schoolmates and neighbors, and those who have a mutual love of cats, and whatever it might be that God has used to bring us together with other people. That's who we are to pursue peace with. We need to pursue peaceful relationships with all the people in that network that God has given us. That is the goal that's expressed as peace with everyone. Remember, this goal of genuine love is, is an ongoing work. The, the first aspect of the work is that we pursue peace with everyone, that, that large network. A second aspect that comes is we initiate aggression toward no one. Now, I admit this is not the smoothest way to, to work this phrase, but I want to balance it verbally with the first aspect. We, we pursue peace with everyone. We initiate aggression with no one. 
That idea comes from Paul's phrase here, so far as it depends on you. I say this often in counseling situations, and I'll say it here as well. We are responsible for our actions and reactions. We, we cannot control what other people do as much as we may want to. I don't know how many times I personally want to control someone else, and I have no idea how many times in counseling situations people want to control someone else. We, we function that way, don't we? We want to control their wrong behavior. No, we're only responsible for our actions and our reactions. That is what we are responsible for. And we must ensure that in our actions and in our reactions, we are not the ones initiating aggression. Let's be honest. This is hard. There are people that irritate us. And we want to act aggressively toward them. They, they may not even know they're irritating us, but, but that in itself is irritating. How can they be so oblivious? I, I confess that this often is where my failings lie. One, one of my sinful tendencies is I seem to carry around with me a whole bag of snark. I, I have snark ready to pull out at any moment. Well, snark is a great way to initiate aggression. I, I remember another time when I was working in the corporate world and I called a different leader to pass along a, a late Friday customer request. It, it was a Friday afternoon and a conveyor belt had broken in a plant and the plant had to work overtime on Saturday to make up for their lost production. Well, we had a policy that, that requests for Saturday overtime production had to be given by Thursday at the latest to be able to do things in a quality fashion. Of course, the policy dealt with planned overtime, not recovering from mechanical breakdowns. Well, when I called this other leader to pass along the request to, to set things up for Saturday, this leader told me they were not going to support that request because it violated the policy. Now, there was no way that the policy was going to trump the necessary recovery that this plant had been forced into because of the broken conveyor belt. There was no way that it would end that way. Yet, rather than patiently explain this to the other leader, what I did was I took my phone, I banged it on the desk about three times, I picked up again and said, let's start over. We're going to work overtime. Okay, I, I got my point across. I, I, I got what I wanted out of the call even. But I'm quite sure I did not improve my relationship with that other leader one bit. Uh, I made the interaction much more confrontational than it needed to be. Look at what Paul says. So far as it depends on you. Genuine Christian love requires that we are never the initiators when it comes to aggression. Aggression and peacemaking, they are antithetical to one another. No matter how much it may seem reasonable to act aggressively, no matter how much it may feel like it's in our best interest to take the initiative and not to find ourselves on defense in our relationship, our goal is not to win arguments. The Christian way is never to be the initiator of aggression because our goal is to build peaceful relationships. We only control our actions and reactions. 
But that means that we can control refusing to initiate aggressive action toward others. We can hold ourselves back. The, the second aspect of the ongoing work of pursuing peace is that we initiate aggression toward no one. We pursue peace with everyone and we initiate aggression toward no one. That, that's our duty as believers in Jesus Christ as we pursue this goal of peaceful relationships. Genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. A peaceful spirit. We've looked at the goal, a peaceful relationship. Our, our spirit is to be striving toward that goal. Let's move on then and consider the challenge. The challenge, unavoidable conflict. Unavoidable conflict. Assuming that you still have that verse laying open there, look at it again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Notice Paul begins with, if possible. Those, those two words, they, they indicate that Paul realizes that there are circumstances that can arise that make it impossible. There are reasons where it may not be possible to have peace. Some conflicts are unavoidable. There, there are a lot of things that, that we could consider in the, the realm of unavoidable conflicts. But, but since we're dealing with interpersonal relationships here with, with us and others that, that we're connected to, let, let's just consider two potential reasons that we might face unavoidable conflicts. One, others may desire conflict. Others may desire it. We may encounter people who, who simply want to pick a fight with us. There's nothing we can do about it. They want conflict with us. They don't like us, and they want conflict with us. Now, now let me just say this in passing. If this happens, it better be based on a characteristic that is fundamental to who we are. Not because of something that we could change. If, if someone is seeking conflict with us because of something that we could change then the requirement of pursuing peace means that we need to change it. This requirement to be at peace with all men, our, our goal would mean that we need change anything that we could change. Remember, Paul says, I've sought to be all things to all people so that by all means some might be saved. But there are things that, that we cannot change that can cause others to hate us enough to desire conflict with us. Sadly, we live in an extremely racist country where, where for some people, the, the color of our skin is all that matters. It, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. You can't change it. Yes, you can cause it maybe to be red for a while, but it will revert back to what it is. God has made you in his image with whatever quantity of melanin you have. You cannot change the quantity of melanin in your body. But your quantity of melanin can cause others to, to seek conflict with you, whether you're white, brown, or black, or any shade in between. More significantly, some may seek conflict with you because you carry the name of Christ. This too should, should come as no surprise. Our, our Savior told us that, that we can expect as much. Back in, in John 15, verses 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, 
You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. I would hope that we all agree that carrying the name of Christ is not something that we can change. A true Christian cannot deny Christ, even if that brings us in conflict with the world around us. Now we're beginning to feel a bit of the heat that can come because we're Christians even in this country. It's becoming common to be falsely accused of being a bigot simply because we are identified as Christians. Frequently, we, we don't have to do anything other than affirm that we are Christian for this to happen. Of course, this has been a common reality for brothers and sisters around the, the, the globe for years, decades, centuries in other parts of the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been hated simply because they are Christian. Christians do not have to do anything other than claim faith in Christ to experience conflict. And that conflict can even lead to the loss of their lives. Unavoidable conflict. Others may desire conflict. That, that's the first reason that the if possible clause suggests that, that peace may be impossible. Uh, another reason is that others may force conflict. Others may force conflict. You see, Paul is not looking at us to pursue peace at all costs. We, we, we want peace with all men. It's our goal, but, but peace can never be our highest goal, not in the sin-broken world that we live in. We never let peace triumph over truth. We never let peace triumph over holiness. Again, all we have to do is look at the example of our Savior when he walked this earth and see that clearly this is not the case, that peace is ever our highest goal. For example, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 28, it's part of a, a string of eight woes that our Savior announces. And they all have a similar sound. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which... On the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to all men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are not the words of one avoiding conflict. Because the scribes and Pharisees had rejected Jesus as Messiah, Jesus could not have peace with them. He, he would have to deny who he was to have peace with them. The reality was, Jesus came to demonstrate who he was. And he came to do what only he could do. Their rejection of him forced conflict from him. In a somewhat similar matter, we, we see Paul not shying away from conflict. He, even when it was with another apostle, we have Paul in Galatians 2.11 giving us the record, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. Cephas is Peter. We know him more as Peter. Peter had succumbed to the pressure of false teachers there in Antioch, and, and, and through the actions, Peter was distorting the gospel message. So Paul publicly rebu rebuked him. He did not shy 
away from conflict when, when the truth of the gospel was at stake. Truth was more important than peace. So what can we learn from these examples? What we can learn is that there are times when conflict is necessary because of the position that we must take in order to remain faithful to our Savior. Friday night, Grace and I attended the, the benefit concert for the Next Step Pregnancy Center. And at the conclusion of that event, we, we mentioned the, the Reproductive Freedom Act that, that will be on the ballot in November. This is an a, attempt to add an amendment to the Michigan Constitution. Re, reading the way that it's written, it appears that it's intentionally designed for confusion. But, but the end result is that it would allow unlimited abortion while it would also impact other areas of pregnancy. It is evil. We, we need to educate ourselves to understand what this act really does. And then we need to oppose it. And we need to encourage others to oppose it. Our opposition may involve us in conflict. Yet, yet that conflict is necessary. It is not possible for us to avoid conflict and simultaneously reflect the value that God places on human life. Others are forcing this conflict on us. Others may force conflict. That's the second reason that the if possible clause results in peace at times being impossible. Remember, genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. We are to be men and women with a peaceful spirit. Our goal is peaceful relationship. Our spirit is striving for that goal the challenge comes in that, that we may encounter unavoidable conflict. Now, lest we end today focusing on the challenge that we face, let's finish by reviewing the reason that we pursue our goal. Why do we strive for a peaceful spirit? Why are we doing what we do? The reason? Our gospel witness. Our gospel witness, that is why we do what we do. Our gospel witness is the fundamental motivation driving our Christian love. We want to show others the love of Christ that we ourselves have experienced. We want to have the love of Christ overflow from us, cascade from our lives into those all around us. We want to magnify the name of Christ by, by lifting his name up to the world around us. We want others to see what we have in Christ. We want them to find what we found in Christ. And the way that we do that is by genuinely loving others. That's what Paul is calling us to here in, in Romans chapter 12. We're to show the transforming work of, of Christ and as we're transformed, we are to impact the world around us. We want to proclaim the transforming work of Christ to the world around us so that others will come to know the transforming work of Christ themselves. We want to share so that there will be more and more trophies of Christ's grace on display for all eternity. We do this because we believe the promises of Christ. That he will communicate the message of the cross through us and by doing so save others. What we cannot forget is that the gospel message must be wrapped by lives that, of genuine love. Our, our love must motivate our acts. Our love must adorn our words. A component of our love is this peaceful spirit. Because 
If we do not have this, a failure here destroys the gospel message instantly. Several years ago, I, I attended a city council meeting. Uh, along with hundreds of other citizens from, from the city, I attended to express my position regarding an ordinance that was before the council. The, the ordinance that was under consideration was supportive of homosexual marriage, which I was opposed to due to its violation of God's standards of morality and purity. There was one man I remembered that was also there to speak out in opposition to the ordinance. His reason was the same as mine. He stated that the ordinance supported what God forbids. The way he expressed his opposition, however, was about as far from a peaceful manner as you could imagine. He used extremely derogatory terms as he addressed the mayor and the other council members. He used crude vulgarity as he voiced his opposition. He spoke with anger and hatred in his voice. In the end, he was thrown out of the meeting for his complete failure to show any sort of civil decorum. And yet he claimed he was there representing the cause of Christ. In reality, he did much damage to the cause of Christ that night. He brought shame and reproach through his action on the name of our Savior. We must remember that we always represent our Savior. Always. Our words, our actions, our lives, everything about us reflect on Him and His gospel message. Most people know our Savior first and foremost through what they see in us. Are you measuring up? Are you sharing the gospel message? Are you adorning the gospel message? We cannot slip in our pursuit of peace for a single moment because the gospel witness of our Savior is at stake. That is why we do what we do. Genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. We do that because of our gospel witness. As at the start, I asked you if you had any arguments this past week. As we conclude, I will ask you to think about this coming week. Do you anticipate arguments arising this coming week? When you leave here today, you are going out into the same sin-broken world. When we leave here today, we are going back to the same people that we dealt with this past week. We will face the same issues, we will face the same people, we will face the same world. We need to face that, all of them, remembering that genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. Paul makes that clear in this verse that we've considered this morning. Genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. Our goal, peaceful relationships. The challenge is unavoidable conflicts. Yet the reason why we do what we do, why we strive for our goal, our gospel witness. Genuine Christian love requires a peaceful spirit. We must, must live with a peaceful spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we go out today, I pray that your spirit would work mightily upon us. 
Show us where we are failing to be the peaceful men and women that we ought to be. Where we are failing to adorn the gospel of our Savior the way that we must so that we will be effective in sharing what we need to share with those who have no hope. Father, we confess that in our sinful hearts we still oftentimes struggle with having a peaceful spirit. Father, we know that we struggle because of sin, but we know that we can have victory in Jesus Christ. I pray today that you would give us victory and that you would help us to use the victory of peace to further the name of Christ in the world around us so that we would see men and women come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.